we're trying to help guys develop habits from waking up, getting in the Bible, working for the glory of God. I mean, basically 24-7, what's it look like to live for the Lord? Welcome to Biblical Counseling in Action. I'm Steve Byers, and this is a podcast that addresses questions like, how do these principles penetrate every facet of local church ministry? What does it look like when biblical counseling starts to impact the youth ministry, or our ladies' Bible studies, or our men's ministries, or the way leaders function together, or the way decisions are made in the church? And what does it look like in the lives of everyday church members who have been trained, or maybe who have been counseled, but now they're continuing to live out these principles in everyday life? That's what this podcast is all about. Well, welcome back to Biblical Counseling in Action. Today we're talking to Pastor Greg Wedelin, who has served on our pastoral staff for the past six years. And, you know, I said this often as I've interviewed different people from our staff, Greg wears a lot of hats, and our church family loves him, loves his wife Erica, and just so glad for the significant pastoral ministry and impact that they have in so many different areas of church life. But Greg's primary responsibility was, first of all, to launch our men's restoration ministry and now to oversee and lead that important ministry endeavor. Greg, I think it might help our listeners just to know more about what is restoration. So can you start there? Just tell us what that ministry is all about. Yeah, absolutely. So restoration is a men's residential addiction ministry. It's a long-term addiction ministry where we're trying to help guys largely overcome substance and alcohol abuse, but really it's pretty broad. Addiction really is just any life-dominating issue. And so that could look like sexual sin, that could look like just extreme laziness, but we're trying to help people reorient their entire lives to love the Lord with all their heart and to love others. Well, praise the Lord that there are ministries like this available, and oftentimes just through regular body life of the church and through regular biblical counseling, persons can make the changes that God wants them to make. But what we have learned is that there are times when a residential program is more in line, and that's why the Lord allowed us to start Vision of Hope, which is a ministry for young ladies who are struggling, and now the men's restoration ministry. And Greg, I'm just so glad that this is now in place and men are being helped. I think it would help just if we could back up a bit, and how in the world does the Lord make a reg? How does he make your wife, Erica? I mean, so can you tell us about your story? I mean, how did you become interested, first of all, just in being a pastor? Yeah, well, that definitely goes back to, I think, in large part, my dad. He taught me the Bible. We did a lot of study of Scripture together. He traveled a lot, but when he was around, I remember long Bible studies. Hmm. I remember just studying late into the night, wanting to hear him teach about the Word of God. So it certainly started with that. And then it's probably not a stretch to say that I may have heard John MacArthur's voice more than my dad's. Um, (laughs) We'd be on the way to church and be like, all right, quiet family, and we're going to listen to a John MacArthur sermon. And then on the way back, all right, quiet family, we're going to listen to another John MacArthur sermon. Would that have been back in the cassette tape days? Oh, yes. Yeah. So we always, because he would, he'd record, I don't know if this was legal or not, but he would, he'd record those things. So we have, I don't know, probably every John MacArthur sermon 
on tape. Up oh, to I'm pretty the, sure it's <laughs> legal because, you know, MacArthur for many, many years through Grace to You would provide those cassette tapes free of charge, mail yeah. them all over oh, the yeah. place. And so you're right, that was a significant impact for many of God's yeah. people. And I realize some of our listeners say, what is a cassette tape? <laughs> They probably don't know the relationship between a pencil and a cassette tape. <laughs> but um, those of us who are a little bit older certainly know that. That's fascinating. And praise the Lord for a father yeah. who would teach yeah. you the Word of God like that. And I've had the privilege of meeting your dad. In fact, we've sat out on your back porch right there at Restoration with your dad and mom. That must be very, very encouraging to mm -hmm. him to yeah. see his son serving the Lord and trying to yeah. teach others the same Bible that he taught you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, those two things, and I, I mean, I was probably rare in the fact that I would pretend probably as early as middle school about being a pastor. And so I would set out, get up on my top bunk bed, lay out all my Bibles and preach down to like stuffed animals. <laughs> um, so that was something for whatever reason was in my head from a pretty young age. You know, and I taught the Bible to friends a lot, started Bible clubs, so I just loved the Bible. That was a big thing. But then when it came time to college, went to Purdue, did engineering. Most people in my family went to Purdue. That was the easy thing. Most people did engineering. Grandparents were going to pay for me to go to out of state to Purdue, so I was like, all right, pretty easy choice. Yeah. But then got connected with Faith Church, and just the way that the Bible was being taught at Faith connected theology directly to practical life. Mm. And so my approach to sanctification before I came to faith was jam Bible in, good stuff has to come out, mm. and to a certain extent that worked, but then there were things in my life that weren't changing or I didn't even really know could change, but a lot of that started to change through the way that the Bible was taught here at faith. And so my thought was, how could I have never been taught this when I grew up in church good doctrine churches. It wasn't like faith believed something different than the churches I went to, but it just connected theology to practical life, and I thought, everybody's got to know this. Yeah, and I think sometimes it's not a matter of, well, somebody else didn't say it or another church didn't believe it. It's just timing. Mm -hmm. It's just God puts me in a position in my Christian growth where I'm open to hearing that, I'm ready to understand that, and so it sounds to me like the Lord is preparing you in all sorts of ways. And then when he brought you here and some of the finer nuances of progressive sanctification, because we've had a counseling center here for 45 years, probably became more evident. Isn't it great to see just the Lord preparing you and oh, yeah. then bringing you here? Yep. How did you receive your training in biblical counseling? Yeah, so formally that came in 2013 when I actually started at Faith Bible Seminary. Hmm. But really, my freshman year at Purdue is when it just kind of looking at Scripture through a biblical counseling lens just kind of caught fire, I guess. Yeah. It definitely started with uh, Pastor Oakwin. He mm -hmm. was over the college ministry in counseling me. I didn't ever necessarily formally counsel with him, but I mean, it, he was definitely counseling me. And then uh, when I told Pastor Brent that I wanted to do seminary, Pastor Folden, who's on staff, he reached out to me and said, well, I know you want to be in ministry, so would you like me to mentor you? And so I was like, well, absolutely, that'd be mm. great. And he helped me connect dots. That's and one of the biggest dots for me, I still remember this conversation, first time sitting down with me, he said, what do I need to know about you? 
Hmm. Well, I'm dating a girl that I shouldn't be dating. That was the first thing out of my mouth. (laughs) And through that conversation, I was struggling with how do I break up with her? I don't want to hurt her. And he kind of helped me see, he's like, well, if you know that God doesn't want you to be with her, then doing what God commands you to do is the most loving thing. Hmm. And so that was a massive moment in my life where it's like, okay, (laughs) when I said I don't want to hurt her, really what's going on is I don't want to look bad. I don't want to feel the shame or whatever. That's kind of where it started. It's interesting that you would answer it that way because, you know, I asked about biblical counseling training but you just started talking about local church body life. You talked about what it was like to be in the counseling ministry. You talked about the impact that Pastor Oakland had, the impact that Pastor Folden had. It really does, I think, illustrate a point that we make a lot around here is that there's a difference between a church having a counseling ministry and a church being a counseling ministry. And so I hope it would be true that anybody who's part of our campus ministry, and I'm so glad we're right here where a Big Ten University is, but anytime somebody's part of our campus ministry, they're going to feel like they're being counseled. They're going to be counseled on Sunday mornings. They're going to be counseled in their small group Bible studies. They're going to be counseled while they're having a hamburger wherever. It's just life-on-life sanctification where those core principles of sufficiency of Scripture and biblical progressive sanctification play themselves out in everyday life. So I'm glad you answered the way that you did, that it just started very informally, but at the same time definitely through the just the regular impact and emphasis of the local church. Yeah. So then how did you decide to get more formally trained, and how did that happen? At one point, when I was at Purdue, deciding to go into pastoral ministry my freshman year, I was like, I'm done with the engineering, got to go get a Bible degree. Pastor Oakwin and a lot of other pastors, actually, at all various different places were like, well, a Bible degree doesn't necessarily help you at all, hmm. per se. Yeah, not you if you're going to go to seminary. You still yep. need seminary. So they encouraged me to stay at Purdue, do something marketable in case you're at a small church. And so that's what I did. And so the formal training came when I came to Faith Bible Seminary, and I wanted particularly to come to Faith Bible Seminary for the biblical counseling emphasis. Yeah, and you've mentioned that a couple of times, so why don't you unpack that for anybody who's listening who says, Faith Bible Seminary, what is that? How is it unique, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, so Faith Bible Seminary, I mean, I just could not say enough good things about it. The model of being trained by pastors, not just academically, but also in ministry, so incredibly valuable. I remember while we were going through the accreditation, the accreditation team, for whatever reason, they wanted to interview me. They said, do you feel like you're missing anything being part of this? Because Faith Bible Seminary is small, mm-hmm. no dorm rooms, no flashy anything. And I had just been at Southern Seminary and real nice facilities, nothing nothing against it. But you know, I was watching people play ping pong and I was like, well, one of the things I love about this place is everything that they're trying to train you is for ministry. So like mm-hmm. the people that are probably playing ping pong or youth youth workers. <laughs> Ouch. And it's, well, and it's, it's for connecting with the youth. Yep. Um, 
And so I don't feel like I'm missing anything. I really feel like I'm being trained for what I want my life to be about. Yeah, and the, the way it works, it is a unique model in that guys have to have a college degree. They have to be able to speak and write in English. They have to be debt-free. But they come in, and they receive free housing. They receive a free Master of Divinity degree over the course of three years. As Greg mentioned, it's fully accredited now, praise the Lord. But the classes are all clustered on Thursdays. Then the rest of their time is split in half. Half of the time is studying, but then half of the time is involved in ministry, especially at our community centers, our counseling center, and then some other area of intern emphasis. And so the goal is, after three years, you graduate, Lord willing, you're debt-free, you've got an excellent education, but you also have three years of practical ministry experience, including having been extensively trained in biblical counseling. That's at least the goal. Is that what you feel like happened in your situation? Oh, yeah. And as part of the seminary, you're not required to get ACBC certified. But at least for me, I was like, man, if I'm going to come to Faith Bible Seminary, we've got all these people who teach and train counseling. I didn't know if I was going to be staying at Faith. And I just thought, it'd be really dumb to leave this place without having been trained by at least some of the people that have been doing this the longest, teaching the longest. And so I pushed myself to get certified and to, well, to be trained and certified before I left here. Hmm. And so Rob Green was my supervisor and very, very valuable. I mean, he, I guess the way I've told some people, he didn't tell me much, but everything he said was gold. Yep. You know, I've always been the guy that when I went through Purdue, Purdue's engineering was highly ranked. And while you're there, it's like, well, I don't know if it's any better than anybody else. Mm. Right. So I don't know if I'm all that prepared to go into the workforce or I hear Faith Bible Seminary prepares you so well. It's like, well, I've never been in ministry, so I don't really <laughs> know. And it was sort of the same way with Rob training me where I'm like, am I really being trained that mm. well? But I can look back and just still some of the things he told me were just I mean, solid gold. And so just very, very thankful for the training that I got here. And still just being around guys at faith and ladies at faith that are counseling, still learning. So the Lord blessed you with a wife along the way. Is that true? That is true. Yep. Yep. So met her at Purdue. And everybody in my family, for the most part, met their spouse at Purdue. So I was going into my (laughs) senior year, and the joke was... I have eight months to find a wife, <laughs> and I, by God's grace, found her. <laughs> well, and then you and Erica were presented with a pretty unique ministry opportunity challenge. We yeah. had already at this point had Vision of Hope going, and we're very thankful for the ministry to young ladies and all that was happening through that ministry. But the Lord had also given us a piece of property, a hundred-acre farm, which was absolutely gorgeous. And we'd always dreamt of having some sort of a men's ministry there. And so we presented you with that opportunity, and you said yes. So can you tell us what in the world you were (laughs) thinking? What motivated you to accept that ministry responsibility? Yeah. I think first off, I mean, it was, so you guys asked. (laughs) So that was definitely where it started. And that was shocking to me, quite frankly, because it was certainly not an easy thing. It wasn't like you were stepping into something that was already there. And at least in my mind, I was like, well, they're certainly looking for somebody who is older, more experience, just more everything. So that was surprising. So that was kind of the first part I was asked. Secondly, I really believe that the Word of God is sufficient and that the gospel transforms people Hmm. and believe that the Bible really has answers for life's toughest problems. Hmm. 
that certainly hasn't changed. The more and more I've done this, the more and more clear it is that like scripture actually has the answers that we need. But then an interesting piece about this, I remember seeing and hearing you talk about the dream of starting a men's ministry early when I was at Faith Church. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking even before I was going to do seminary, I mean, I was probably either a freshman or a sophomore going, man, of any ministry around it, like that'd be cool to be a part of. Hmm, That's interesting. Had no idea that, because that was probably around 2008 or 2009, had Hmm. no idea that like eight years later, Hmm. I'd be a part of starting that. So can you tell folks about just what is restoration like? How is it structured? If somebody came, what would they expect? Yeah. So restoration, I mean, really simply, I mean, we're trying to help guys develop habits from waking up, getting in the Bible, working for the glory of God. I mean, basically 24-7, what's it look like to live for the Lord? Hmm. And so in many ways, it's very basic. I mean, we're trying to pull away some of the normal responsibilities they'd have so they could focus on growing to love the Lord and understand what that looks like. But it's really just trying to orient their whole life to please the Lord. So, I mean, biblical counseling is a part of that. We're going to sit down one-on-one with them weekly and really delve into their story. But then we're also going to do class time with them where it's like, man, we just want them to understand the storyline of Scripture, how Scripture applies directly to their life. Then work is an important one where we want guys to learn how to work to the glory of God and what the point of work is and how that can be a enjoyable part of living for Him. And then just the local church and just building relationships. So if you look at our schedule, for the most part, I would say it's going to look similar to what most people's <laughs> schedule should be. Right. When they leave Restoration, sure, there's less teaching you're going to be getting. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have a bit more freedom over some things, but for the most part, it's going to look kind of like everyday life, which we sort of want it to. So we certainly want to deal with issues of the heart, and we're oh, dealing yeah. with that in counseling. We're trying to help men think through the habits of thinking, the habits of desiring that have been developed. Some have gone through significant suffering, some have been involved in significant sinning, and most have been some sort of a combination thereof, which is true to some degree of all of us, I believe. But we, and I appreciate the way you said it, we just want to spend time finding out their story. So it's not hyper behavioral, Mm -hmm. but on the other hand, we're certainly not going to sit around and contemplate our theological navels all day. And so it very much is putting off and putting on at the level of the heart, but also at the level of behavior. Because we do believe that one of the ways we overcome addictions is by learning the joy of work, learning the joy of using our bodies in a way that is consistent with their design through the power of the gospel. You've mentioned work a couple of times. They actually potentially work in a couple of different settings. Can you explain to folks, what does that look like? Yeah, so when guys come to Restoration, we have them work on our property. Mm -hmm. And that was the plan from the get-go, because we, for a couple of reasons, we wanted to observe them working. We wanted to be part of training them in working. And seeing them work helps me understand and helps us understand 
who they are. Mm -hmm. Because seeing someone in a counseling room versus sitting in class versus at work versus at a meal and all that, like it all becomes very important Mm. in helping me understand who this guy is. Mm. So we started a sawmill, fascinating story how we fell into that. Mm. I knew nothing about wood or woodworking. And so people always ask, how did this start? And it's like, (laughs) God just that's right. Led me there. Yep. And then we started a tree nursery as well. And again, God sort of led us there with a guy who reached out to us that wanted to combine his love for tree nurseries. He had been trained in that and his ministry experience. And so he approached us and at the right time that seemed to work. And so we have those two businesses on the hundred acres out there mm. and guys work in that. And we love that because we want guys to work to support what they're receiving there. We're not really wanting people to go deeply into debt to receive help. We want to make help available to anybody that wants it. So those are two things that guys work in. And then we also have partnered with a local pallet factory where guys will go work in the second phase of the program. And really that becomes a very important part because I want them to see when they're off property, when they're not being watched by a staff member, are they different? They're going to be around normal worldly influences that like a factory would have. In some sense, you could insulate people so much that it's hard for them to see, do they still struggle with those desires? And so by going off property, working for someone other than their pastor and counselor Mm -hmm. who maybe doesn't care what's going on in their life. You just need to work hard. Those are very important lessons for transitioning them back into a life outside of a residential program. So, you know, many times people hear about a residential program and think, wow, that is going to be really expensive. And at the same time, often people who are in need of help the most are able to afford it the least. Can you talk about the finance model? I mean, what does a person have to pay in order to receive this kind of residential treatment? Yeah, so at least the way the fees are right now, the first six weeks is $250. The last six months is $200 a month, so it'd be $1,450. And so, it, and that as far includes as, the person's room and board. Yeah, it doesn't do much to dent the, <laughs> the expenses that yeah. are there. But it really is a skin-in-the-game type thing. Mm-hmm. There certainly have been plenty of scenarios where even if people have no way of paying that, right, and I really believe that they want the help and so mm-hmm. forth, then we'll just waive that. Mm-hmm. So then from a funding perspective, I can imagine somebody sitting here thinking, you know, our church has talked about this and talked about this. We'd like to start it. Uh, How is it funded? Yeah. So it's funded largely in part by the guy's work. Right. And so really that certainly the work from the pallet factory, they're definitely not making a killing. But that was kind of enough that their wages supporting them to be in the program was enough to really float us by. Uh-huh. From a donation perspective, I mean, early on, we were probably, at least for operating donations, probably getting around fifteen to $20,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the way that this ministry started was we did have one donor that gave $100,000 seed money. Mm-hmm. And we also had the property. So right. there was a fair amount that was given to us. But I think every ministry, right, it's something you pray about, <laughs> it's something you think about, right? Obviously, this church had been thinking about it for a long time before it happened. And so those stories are always different. And I remember when I was trying to put this together, go into other places, and the what was never the most important question. It was like, why? Why are you doing it? Why are you doing it? If you believe it's what the Lord wants you to, right, you try, you try, you try, you try, and the Lord 
provides in many ways. So the truth of the matter is, it is possible to have a group of men who are involved in some kind of a business, and that business will generate some kind of income. Yeah. And so it doesn't have to be a program that is costing significant amounts of money to those who are coming or right. even to those who are providing the care. It yeah. is possible to put together a business model that serves them and keeps things floating. And then yeah. when you layer in donors who want to serve, it's yep. nobody's going to get rich, but no one's <laughs> going to go broke. I mean, is that yeah. sort of the bottom line here? Yeah. And then definitely volunteers, a huge part of it. <laughs> Tell us about that. Where do volunteers fit in and what are they like? Man, well, at least the volunteers we have just give a ton of time, mm-hmm. ton of time. I remember when I started this programming, had one volunteer, I was mm-hmm. one staff member, and he was a lifeline for me. Yeah. And he came out, I mean, he told me he'd come out two days a week. And I remember there were times where it's like, can you come tomorrow? Can you come tomorrow? <laughs> it's just, and he did. So that was huge. And so these guys really are a huge investment in the guys and just really help out, right? Some volunteers I know can sort of be like, well, I got to find something for you to do. Yep. These are volunteers that I would say are like staff members. Yep. I mean, they, it's not just something they're doing. They're really invested in it. And, and for the be- most part, these are retired yeah. men who are giving a portion of their life to serve guys who are younger, helping them come out of addictions. Yeah, as far as the work is concerned, these are typically retired guys. They'll work alongside guys, training them. And then I just had at my accountability group this morning, had one guy who had graduated the program mention one of the volunteers there, John McInnes, and something that John McInnes told him at lunch in like, week two or three of him being there it was just kind of out of the blue something about how john mckinnis gave up a massive promotion mm-hmm. because pastor good had challenged him on you need to be with your family and yep. your <laughs> yep. work is too important yep. and that was something that really impacted this guy early on yep. and so there some of these informal things have huge huge impact mm. And you just never know how the Lord's going to use them. And so those volunteers are just priceless. So you are in the middle of a building program. So tell us about what are you building and how's it going? Yeah, so we're building a new new barn that will have, they'll expand some capacities in the sawmill. Mm-hmm. And so we've been operating our sawmill out of an old 1800s barn that we have been retrofitting over the past few years. Uh-huh. And we're out of retrofitting, out of space. <laughs> and so it'll have a much larger storage capacity for lumber, which will really help our business be able to sell more lumber, generate more revenue, support the ministry more. And then it'll have a better and larger wood shop mm-hmm. as we build a lot of custom furniture. And so it'll make things safer. It'll kind of make things more efficient. So again, be able to generate more revenue. And then also, since it's bigger, we'll be able to fit more people in there. Mm -hmm. So right now, our program has a capacity of 12 guys. The work is an important part of the program, not just in keeping them busy, but really in helping them grow and change. And so I wouldn't even think about expanding the capacity right Mm -hmm. now until we can actually have the work spaces that would fit guys like that. So this is an important step before we could ever think about expanding the ministry. So right now we have a couple of duplexes. That's where the 12 guys live. What's pretty amazing is this property has already been zoned where 
quite a few more duplexes could legally be built on this property without a rezone. So we'll see what the Lord wants to do. It's also pretty amazing that six years into this and God's already allowing you to build a brand new building. Very, very exciting. If there's somebody who is struggling with an addiction and they're hearing this and would like to find out more about restoration, what should they do? Yeah, so I mean, the easiest thing would be to just Google Restoration Lafayette, Indiana. I mean, that'll pop up the web page and they can read through it on there. There's some testimonies on there. Also, the application is on there, ways to contact us, but that'd probably be the easiest thing to do. So what about somebody who's in a church and maybe they've been thinking about this too and would say, you know, I'd love to talk to Greg and just learn a bit more about how they went from zero to where they are today, just the process. Yep. Would you be willing to speak to such a person? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, before the pandemic, I mean, it seemed like there were visits all the time. Mm-hmm. Those are starting to pick back up. People are wanting to come out and visit and see what we do. And so people visit, speak with people on the phone. I mean, definitely at our biblical counseling training conference, talk with a lot of people that are either doing this kind of work and are trying to figure out how to do it better or are thinking about starting it. So let's say there's somebody who God has blessed them financially and they're thinking about a place where they can invest some of those funds. you got a building program going. You have ongoing financial needs. Would you be willing to accept their money <laughs> if they were interested in giving it to the ministry? Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> and isn't it amazing how the Lord just continues to yep. connect us with people yep. who want to be involved in supporting this kind of yep. gospel-centered restoration ministry and praise the Lord for yep. that. Well, hey, Greg, very thankful for you. Thankful for Erica, just the ministry that the Lord has entrusted trusted to you. It's amazing what's been accomplished in six years. It's exciting to think about what the Lord may choose to do in the days ahead. And we would just say to him and by him, through him, that's where we want the glory to go. But we are very, very excited to to watch him work in and through us. So thanks for being willing to be used as one of his instruments. Yeah, yeah, it's a privilege. It really is. You can check out more about our ministry at faithlafayette.org. Or if you're interested in receiving biblical counseling training, go to faithlafayette.org slash conferences. You can find these presentations wherever you normally access your podcasts. And you could really help us just to get the word out by telling your friends on social media that these presentations are going to be available. Our hope and our prayer is that this podcast honors the Lord and is a blessing to you.